Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jake Mathis. Today is Saturday, April 25th at 1.52 p.m. I almost said a.m. I'm Jake Mathis. Joining me today... That would have been inaccurate. Uh, I'm Jacob Bomber, and the next voice you hear belongs to a Long Beach Poly High School graduate and current anteater at UC Irvine. He's an avid biker, and as one of the most creative people I know, he is also an excellent writer. He is the catalyst for why this podcast even exists, so we are extremely excited to have him join us, ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Van Lant. What's up, you guys? I I laughed a bit when you said anteater, because I was like, what? Where are you going with this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, I'm like like half anteater dude by the end. I was slightly concerned. I was like, I, I know what vegetarians are. I don't know what an ant. <laughs> You've seen an anteater. Were you with us no. at the zoo when we? You didn't see it when we were at the zoo. No, because it was hidden when I walked over. Oh, we hung out with it so Freaking long. Freaking run! It was the most important thing in my life. You met, that's true. I freaked I out. When I saw a llama run. <laughs> we were at there's a zoo in Santa Ana that's super small and good enough for little kids, and they have multiple llamas. And Jake got really excited. It was good enough for us too. I, that's, I mean, not just yeah. little kids. I mean, you guys quit with like 45 minutes left. No, we I were, didn't want to sit through the show, which I should have. You should have. You missed the hedgehog. Some person of staff should have been with the children. Well, you should have brought them with you. They wouldn't listen. <laughs> well, you have a discussion question for us in our new segment, uh, as yet untitled. Can it be called that <clears throat> segment yet yeah, as yet untitled? It's super. No, that's uh, a, that's a really nice named thing. Uh, it should be something like Jake wants to know or something like that. And then we, I already think of the jingle. All right, it works. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Cause then every day I could be like, what does Jake want to know today? And then you could say Jake wants to know. And then you go from there. No, that's too Barney. Oh, are you insulting Barney? Barney I grew up on Barney. Dude, Barney has, like, a significant cultural impact on, like, all Americans, man. Like, Dude, if anybody... I think a total of three episodes of Barney. Oh, I watched so many. If anyone utters the phrase, you are special, or says the words clean up, I instantly go into Barney song mode. Oh, dude, the clean up one, yeah. A hundred percent of the time. It's great. No, it's awesome. It probably comes up pretty often. It, you'd be surprised. <laughs> it happens quite a lot. I don't necessarily go into full, like, singing the whole thing. Clean up, I usually will. But, like, for You Are Special, I'll just say the words kind of under my breath and see if anyone notices, and then I just move on. <laughs> but what is, what, is, what is our discussion? So today? our discussion is, would you rather be too hot or too cold? Ooh, okay, that's a it that's also a branches question. off to like food options too, because like too hot or too cold for that, and there's a few different things we get branched off to. But yeah, it's too hot or too cold. All right, yeah, that that's a hard question for me because I feel like in like either extreme, I'm like in my element. Because like when when I'm cycling, normally I'll do like mountain rides early in the morning, and it is just like freezing cold when you're going downhill. But like at the same time, like that's kind of dope, and I like I enjoy that. But uh, when it's, like, super hot, I just love, like, going to the beach and, like, 
attempting to surf. I can't, I can't surf at all, but like, I love trying. <laughs> and then like, I don't know, but I'd probably say too cold because I feel like I'd rather be somewhere where I can like layer up and kind of like choose the temperature that I want to be rather than like be in a hot area. Cause you can only, you can only be so naked, man. Like you can't, <laughs> once it gets hot enough, like you, you can't go back. There's nothing you can do to stop it except just like get in cold water all the time, but that's not accessible. I feel like it depends on if the question is asking, would you rather be in a state of constantly slightly too hot or constantly slightly too cold? Like, and there was nothing you could do to change it. You were stuck in that state because it's your people go to your argument all the time of, would you rather it be really cold or it'd be really hot? And then you say, yeah, if if it is really cold, then you can adapt to that much easier than you can adapt to it being really hot. Cause like you said, you can only take off so many clothes. There's only so much, like so many cold drinks and that doesn't super work out as well as drinking yeah. a warm drink when you're cold, putting on more layers. Um, so, so it's I just still, like, I just don't like in this scenario, it's just like permanently hot or permanently cold. And then I have to like choose which I'd rather be in. Yeah. That's how I interpret it. I'm trying to like dissect this as like a character question. I'm not trying to answer it as a character question, but I'm trying to figure out where this goes. All right. I feel like, uh, I'm still going to go with the too cold. I'm still going to go with like the slightly too cold rather than slightly too hot. Cause at least you're not sweating. Like I really hate it when I just like, like passively sweat. Like it doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, I just, I think I'd rather be sweating though, than like shivering and stuff. Really? Cause shivering, like that's just terrible. That's true. But like when you sweat, you like get stinky. And then like, if you try to talk to someone yeah, but and then they see like, sweat stains on your armpit or like something disgusting like that i don't sweat that much but if someone (laughs) if it's perpetually hot everyone will be sweating though so that's kind of like it'd probably be more acceptable because like there's places like with very high humidity where a lot of people are sweating outside and they don't care about sweat Hmm. like you know what that guy's working hard i would i would much rather be too hot than too cold really i feel like especially like playing sports like I would, it, I would much rather it be hotter than colder because there's a certain cold temperature that you playing sports hurts. Like mm-hmm. it hurts to catch something when it's cold. It hurts to move your body when it's cold. At least when it's hot, like you feel loose, like all of that's happening. And I just exist better in heat than I do in cold. Like I'm angry if I'm cold. If I'm hot, I'll be like, I might be out of it or a little tired, but if it's cold, I'm just mad. Oh, for sure. I feel like maybe I'm a little bit biased because I just recently I had a horrible, like super hot experience because I went up to Whittier yesterday to do like a hill ride because normally I do repeats up there uh, once a week on my bike, like going up Turnbull Canyon, which is like a really hard climb. And like, I just do it over and over and over to like increase my time or like decrease my times. But uh it was so hot. It was like 96. I got up there and it was just like, it was just baking. I, 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 I did one repeat. I got up the hill one time and it's like only like three miles. And I was just exhausted at the top, like completely out of it. I had to like, I had to like lean over and like sit down on the, on the dirt, like on the side of the road. And I was like, no, this is not going to work. I normally do like four of these repeats. Like this is too much. Well, and the heat just came out of nowhere this week. It was like, yeah. 60s, 70s over the weekend, and then all of a sudden it was 93 on Thursday. Like what? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. 
Then I think I like broke my AC in my car, like right after I finished that. Like I turned the AC on. You know, you know that sound a truck makes when they stop at a stoplight and like an air compressor releases. That's what yeah. it sounds like in my car. Like at the same magnitude. <laughs> like I thought something was gonna explode in my engine, dude. Like I, I, I was oh, extremely nervous. That's yeah, that's scary. <laughs> that's yeah, not so a good thing. Just to say, I'm still sticking with cold. Like I, I respect <laughs> your opinions, but like. It's fine. I think it's a matter I would of preference. Be... There isn't a right or wrong answer. It's what do you prefer? No, there is. Okay. <laughs> Just like soft tacos, hard tacos. Uh, We're not, we already had that conversation. We're not doing it again. Uh, for me, I would do too hot because I feel like in Southern California, there's a lot of ways to cool down. So I feel like the ocean is always within 45 minutes of us. That's a good point. Or if I'm going to like Arizona, like there's rivers and there's pools and stuff everywhere like there's like plenty of ways to get cool but for me like i'm not a big fan of like wearing like a lot of jackets and stuff so i don't want to be wearing anything and like hot drinks aren't that like there's only like two or three hot drinks that i actually like so hmm. hello random child <laughs> say random child that was katrina oh it looked like a child. <laughs> <laughs> They were, she was asking if I wanted anything from Wienerschnitzel. <gasps> yeah, french fries. No, they have the worst fries. Oh my god. What? My cat Gracie loves them. Like, a really well done chili fry is good, but their fries in general are terrible. Nah, man. Have you guys had the loaded fries from, uh, from, what do we call it, Shake Shack? No. Dude, no. they're, they're to die for, man. Like, I, I, Try not to go there very much because, like, those loaded fries, it's, like, a small thing of them, and it's, like, $6. It's, like, it's pretty ridiculous, but, like, I sat down and ate that thing, and it was just so good. It was just, like, the best, the best like, loaded fry or, like, animal fry or whatever. Is there is there a Shake Shack in Irvine? No, no, but there's there's one, like, right near my house because you know that second in PCH? Oh, they just put one in at second PCH. I forgot. I've not been there yet. I haven't either. I want to so bad. I've, re- I've only picture. been in there. I've only been to that shopping center once, and it was to go to Whole Foods. Hey, it was with you. Okay. Then. Oh yeah, yeah. I go there like Cody all the time, just because uh, I've been driving Postmates recently. Yeah. So uh, uh, nice. people are ordering that all the time. Yeah. 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 That if I sense. if I live closer to that, I would go there a lot. But yeah, you live like down the streetish from it, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But still, it's like, like $6 is like, not too much. It's like a, it's like a super treat when I like get the chance to like, or when I'm feeling like, okay, I'm just gonna like bleed my wallet for a minute. Like I need these fries. <laughs> All right. Well, I, we didn't talk about this before we started recording, but I want to hear your first impressions of like the first times that we met. Oh, shoot. Okay. Uh, I was like totally horrified of you, dude. Like, <laughs> I think I was like, uh, I think back then, like things have changed a lot for me now, but I think back then you probably remember I was like, uh, like barely five feet tall. I think like, uh, like middle school, high school era. Like I was just like a tiny little spindly kid. I was like 85 pounds and like 4'11 or five foot or whatever. And then like, uh, like I don't know. I feel like there needs to be no words to compare the size differential between like me and you. <laughs> And then, like, I see you, like, mess with everybody in, like, Embody and Action Company. You, like, pick them up and, like, swirl them around and stuff. And, like, it's all, like, fun and games. But to me, I was, like, if that happens to me, I could die. 
Like, I, I could, like, break a bone and die. Like, it, this is a real concern for me. But, like, yeah, then after I met you, I'm like, oh, okay, he's nice. Like, he might hurt me, but he doesn't mean it. Like, it's okay. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, because you had seventh grade? Because I think Luke was a freshman my second year as a leader, maybe? Yeah, I would have been in seventh grade when Luke was a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah, that was a long time ago. What was your first impression of me? Were you just like, look at this little rat? <laughs> I wouldn't rat. have thought if I were you, dude. I'd be like, what is this little rodent doing crossing my path? I wouldn't have referred to anybody as a little rat. Um, but cause like size comparison wise, I, at the time I was hanging out with like the Tylers all the time and Tim wasn't very big either at that age. Like obviously he has added a lot of muscle and stuff now, but when he was, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old, that kid was super scrawny too. So, so it's not like, Oh, this, it's not like seeing you was like, Oh man, this kid is tiny and whatever compared to everyone else. Like, all right, you were small. A lot of kids are small in their middle school. It's fine. Um, I was like exceptionally yeah. small though. You gotta, you gotta admit that. I was like, I was like off the chain small, dude. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Luke was big either. Like there wasn't, you know, anything to compare. I don't know. Yeah. I just whenever, because you're, you know, the second of three, there's always the like, well, how is he going to compare to Luke? And then what is, you know, what is Jacob going to be like afterwards? What are, how do you operate as like a middle child? Like that's how, when I first, you know, meet families like that and, and talk to siblings like that. That's kind of how I process. Like, I wonder what it's like to be in that position. Like, I understand what comes with being a younger brother, what comes with being, I mean, not that I understand that personally, but I've interacted with enough people mm-hmm. to know that yeah, like some of that stuff family. exists. So that's, that's always the interesting thing of meeting a younger brother. How are they going to be? Not that I compare them necessarily to their siblings, but I'm interested in how they do based on other people like applying that pressure no i think Uh, that's totally totally valid like coming from like the little brother and older brother standpoint like i totally just followed in my older brother's footsteps because i went into middle school and high school and like mostly high school i was like i have no clue what i want to do at all i'm not like at the time i wasn't like skilled in anything because i hadn't really like put any effort into anything before and then uh I just like went into all the things that Luke had already gone into. So I like, I, like you're like, you're putting pressure on yourself anyway, because Luke, Luke was, I mean, Luke did well. Luke was a good scholar. Luke was, Luke a good was musician, larger than so. life to me. He was like, <laughs> he had his stuff together. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's hard enough when the older brothers like that. B, you make it harder on yourself when you then try to enter those same footsteps. It's admirable and like really cool. Like that's how much you looked up to him and wanted to be like him and do that. But like you're also setting yourself up for it a little bit. So it's interesting watching that and seeing that play out. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was definitely like a weird time for me. Cause when you like try to basically like imitate someone else, cause like I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was just like, okay, I'm just going to do all the loot shit. And like I'd even like imitate his behavior, but I would like do it wrong. So everybody would be like, what the fuck are you doing? But like that, that was like a learning experience for me. Cause I kind of learned like, Oh shit. Like I can't just be somebody else. Like I can't be Luke as much as I, I like admire him and look up to him. And now like kind of looking back on it, it's kind of weird. Cause like I'll still interact with him and stuff and I'll see like how actually different we are. 
And like back yeah. then, I thought like I was just like right behind him pretty much. But like now I've gone on like a very different path than he has. And like he's kind of admitted it and he's like, it's cool the things that you've accomplished and how you kind of just like went off and did your own stuff. And that was definitely like a post high school thing. But like, yeah, yeah. definitely high school. I was just like meandering after that man. <laughs> so you're uh, a middle child? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Do you feel as a middle child that you were the like the underrated child in a way? Like, cause like you got the older kid, the older sibling that kind of gets like, like the parents kind of go harder on because it's their first one kind of thing. And then there's the youngest one where they're a baby. Do you kind of feel like you're just like in that middle area where they're like, you know what, go do you. You know what? High key. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I totally would say that. Uh, cause like, more or less, this has to do with how, how stringent my parents are about, like, uh, the things that me and my brothers do. And, like, we were kind of, like, the adventurous type. Definitely me, without a doubt. And so, like, uh, like I feel like I maybe fly under the radar a little bit more. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, keeping that on the down low. Like, I think the things I do, as long as I just, like, don't really make a big deal out of them, I don't think my... Oh, my parents really noticed. When, when do you remember being conscious of that fact? Like, when, when did it make itself clear to you that, like, oh, this is my life and I understand it? Yeah, I think, like, uh, I think high school because, uh, my, I think my parents were kind of like dealing with my little brother, like, uh, starting to learn how to, like, play music and stuff and like getting through the weird times of high school or of middle school. And then, mm -hmm. uh, my older brother was like getting into graduation mode and like looking at college and stuff. And so it was kind of like a big deal for both of them. Whereas me, I was just like, uh, like, I don't know. I, I wasn't really like, accomplishing anything or going anywhere. I was just like going through the motions of high school. And then, uh, I don't think there was much attention like placed on me at all and like that wasn't something that I took advantage of at the time though I wish I had but like now I I've kind of like taken that dynamic and like generally taken advantage of it now <laughs> <laughs> that's it's I'm always interested by I'm always interested by middle child and how they process that and you know once they are aware of it what they do as a result because it's one thing when you're young to like you you subconsciously would recognize it if that was happening you would be aware that the older one is like getting a certain type of attention and that the younger one is getting a certain type of attention compared to what you get and it's not that parents do it on purpose it's just a natural like that's just how it works um so i'm always interested to hear people talk about that experience because i i mean i wasn't a middle child i'm the oldest but i'm the oldest by 11 years and <laughs> so so technically my brother's a middle child, but between him and my sister, like one's the oldest, one's the youngest. And that's how it worked. Like there wasn't, there was no attention paid on me in the same way of them. Like I was a senior in high school, dear kindergarten. Oh yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Like the, the like, fact that not... me and my brothers have like the same age gap definitely like plays into it. I'm like smack yeah. down in the middle. Yeah. That's super, super interesting. Is it weird now? Cause Jacob's, going to be a graduated senior is that i mean it's not that you're so much older so that it's weird that yeah. that the youngest is there but like you still have to see him as like the little younger baby brother so for him yeah. to be old enough to be graduating high school what's that like 
Yeah, it's kind of surreal for me, actually. Like, I had a, I had a really weird experience, like, uh, in the summer in between, uh, like, uh, my first and second years in college. And I was kind of like, uh, like all my friends were out of town. So I just like literally had nothing to do. Like, besides pursuing what I was pursuing, I just had nothing to do. And then like my little brother was constantly running around and like having fun with all, all his friends. And I was like, ah, I hate that. Like, I, I wish that was what I was doing, but I'm not. And then, uh, so like I kind of like harbored a little bit of resentment against him, but he was just like super patient and like it kind of stunned me. Like uh like I would like kind of be a little irritable at times, and then he would just like act very patiently and like not really react that badly. And I'm like, wow, this kid is like, which is like a weirder experience. Wait, hold up, I gotta plug in my computer. I'm about to die. <laughs> that would it be was weird. weird. It was weird for me because like uh yeah, I I don't know I. It would have been weirder if it was just like, oh, this is like my baby brother, like graduating high school. Like, I feel like that would be a little different of an experience, but like, uh, it was weird because like he had shown me that he was like super mature and then he like goes and like graduates high school and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that, that feels like it should have been a while ago just based off how he's acting. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't think it's the traditional experience for, an older brother to kind of feel that. I feel like most of the time they're probably like, Oh, look at this little, this little weasel. Like, I'm sure that's how my brother felt. I was like <laughs> trying to, trying to be him. And he was just like, Oh, look at this kid. You're referring to yourself as a rodent pretty often. Dude, yeah, I, I, I noticed that subconsciously, like right after I said it, <laughs> I think it's just easier to kind of like refer. At least you've, pro- at least you've progressed from a rat to a weasel. Yeah, that's true. What's I'm next? A capybara? Yeah, you're trending yeah. upwards. <laughs> I'll go like there. I'll go to like a shoot. I feel like capybara is like the biggest rodent, right? It no, is. Yeah. So, that's like King so rodent. beaver. I think yeah, beaver I feel like I gotta, I gotta take a couple steps up to that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> King rodent. <laughs> what What exactly do you think you have to accomplish in your life to have leveled up to the point of capybara? <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a really good point. I'm really glad you asked that question because that really puts everything in perspective. Okay, so definitely I gotta I gotta publish a book. I gotta publish a book. Oh wow. So would you say would you say A that you are still at Weasel or do you think you've progressed since Weasel? Dude, I think I've I think I've gone a little farther from Weasel. Like definitely not definitely not knocking on the door of Capybara, but like I'm at uh I think I'm at like a what's better I feel like a guinea pig is a little better than a weasel. Like a muskrat. I mean, they're smaller. <laughs> muskrat, yeah. Or like a, shoot, what's like a, are there any like a, I mean, what's beaver, to, what's beaver to is in between weasel and a meerkat. A meerkat. Oh, dude, but yeah, okay. Would you put meerkat ahead of weasel? I feel oh, like yes, meerkats are way cooler. Size. I feel so, like, okay, in terms yeah, of, no, like but really like evolutionary wise, I think they're ahead because they can stay on two feet. Yeah, and they can also like communicate with each other and they like have familiar bonds and they're like aware of things. I feel like when I think of meerkats, I think of like a general awareness and I feel like that's probably like a little better than a weasel. Like a weasel's just like trying to get his next meal. But uh, I feel like I've digressed way too far from your original question. <laughs> <laughs> this is fine. This is how <laughs> having rodent discussions. Porcupines are considered rodents in case. That's that a good was... point. Yeah, I feel like if anything, I was probably a porcupine earlier because I was a little too choleric and like angry about things. Now I'm a little, I'm a little more like laid back and not too concerned about too much. Except grades, that's been a concern, but like, 
I felt like college has been a time of like general stoicism for me. Dang, this is crazy. Oh, at- that's a fossil. I was looking at a list of rodents. <laughs> so, cause this matters. Do you know how much beavers can weigh? No. Too much. Uh, 110 pounds. Dude. It's like more that's than in- when you met me. That's in, that is so much. 110 pounds? I did not think beavers were that big. Oh, yeah, me neither. It's kind of weird. Porcupines can be 60 pounds. Kind of cap- capybaras get up to 200 pounds. No way, for real? Yeah. yeah they're, they're huge. They're, they're like small they're horses. Big. They're ginormous. Well, I, I wouldn't say horse. They're yeah. They're horses. <laughs> they're like small cows. Small children could ride them. That's my point. <laughs> Small well, children could ride small. a golden retriever, depending on how small it is. Okay. <laughs> so you so you still have some time to get to. Okay, so we what? Yeah, I interrupted your process. What would it take for you to get to full fledged capybara? Okay. Yeah. So first one is definitely publishing a book, and I'm like in the process of writing like the best thing that I've written so far right now, which is super exciting. Like I I'm like consciously in the process of it like right before you texted me i was like writing out like planning and stuff and i've been like doing all this stuff but uh other than writing probably like uh i really want to ride with semi-pros because i feel like if i if i train enough back to where i used to be like 200 miles a week and i'm like uh consistently putting in like uh the time and effort needed to like get to that level i feel like Mm -hmm. i can i can do a mountain ride with semi-pros because i'm like uh, I'm pretty lean, which means I can climb mountains really fast. Because, like, uh, if people have more weight on them, it becomes, like, harder for them to climb mountains. And I've become really fast at going downhill, too, because I've been, like, training with my friend for, like, going uh, downhill. So I feel like I could really do a hill race. Like, uh, I feel like I could hold my own. So, like, I really want to at least try. And then, like, once I get to that point where I, like, actually, like, immerse myself in, like, the professionality of the fields that I'm like interested in, I feel like that's when I'll like, I'll level up to that, to the next level, where I, like emerge into the professional. So do you have, do you feel like you have to do that in each one to reach that point? Or as soon as you get one of them to that point that you feel like? That's a good point. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the kind of person who only does one thing well. Because I yeah. feel like uh, those kinds of people, like, they they easily can kind of, like, get, I don't know, I'm kind of missing the description I need for, like, describing these people. But, like, mostly I feel like they kind of lose the ability to, like, relate with people and then also have kind of, like, a, a generalized diverse life experience. So then it becomes difficult for them to, like, uh, understand the things around them and, like, relate them to others. So I feel like I I've had a ton of fun kind of like branching out into like a ton of different things. And it's like, I feel like it's like improved my character. So I want to like stay branched out and like make sure that I can like try and be professional in multiple fields, which is going to be difficult because I I know most people kind of like pick one path and then that's like what they focus on, which might end up being my life. I don't know. But like so far (laughs) I want to stick with the multiples for sure. I would highly suggest reading a book I read called Range. Um, Although, I mean, you don't need to be convinced of it because you are already living what it's talking about. But the main idea is that the world really puts a premium on specialization. 
and it's super important for people to, you know, the 10,000 hour thing to that once you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you become a master at that thing. Um, and so for us to, for us to become experts, we have to spend all of our time focused on this one aspect. And so he opens by talking about the difference between Tiger Woods and Roger Federer and mm. Tiger Woods from the time he was a baby, his entire life focus was on golf and he went on to become one of the best golfers ever. Roger Federer spent his entire young adult life playing every sport, even though his mom was a tennis pro and something like he played everything growing up and didn't focus on tennis till like the end of high school and then went into tennis. And so obviously that's still young, but in terms of athletics, the end of high school is right at the peak, you know, before you get to the next level before yeah. it ends. I, you know, an athlete's life skews much younger than a normal adult life. Mm-hmm. So, so it's the idea that both are successful, but in terms of like real world application, we are much better off if we have a larger breadth of knowledge early and then specialize late because taking all of that information, when you can bring all these different aspects together into what you're doing later on, you are better off than just having the narrow focus of what you know. Even if what you know is to an expert level, you only have that one point of view of what you're looking at compared to you can think about things from all these different aspects and be able to bring it all together and that being much more beneficial in the long run. Um, so basically the whole book just goes into that into much greater detail and tells a bunch of stories accentuating that fact. And it's, it's fantastic. So that sounds super interesting. That's basically been like my kind of philosophy with moving through that too. Yeah. So I think, I think people would benefit a lot from listening to that and contemplating that as a overall mindset as opposed to this is what I'm studying. This is what I'm going to do. This is going to be my focus. And I'm not going to stray away from that. Like it's not as beneficial. Yeah, exactly. Obviously there are some people where it works out, but on the whole, you know, you're better off being generalized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I've definitely seen that in a lot of people and this kind of like translates into the, uh, the like Greek life thing. Cause like when you're, when you're in that kind of scene, there's like a lot of different people, uh, who all have like different focuses and majors and they're all like, they have interesting backgrounds, but, uh, one, they don't know. One, they don't even know like their own histories. You kind of have to like, m- like draw it out of them, which is like a weird experience. And two, like, like their family history or what, like their own personal what they've experiences done in their life, life. like okay. the things that they've accomplished. And then two, yeah. like they're, not often very like generally broad or they haven't done like uh like maybe they're an artist but they haven't done sports at all or maybe they're uh, an athlete but they just haven't created anything in their lives so they just think they like suck at being creative so like it's kind of interesting to like see these people because like I think most people can do most things that they set their minds to but then people kind of just like fall into one category or like or like one specialization and then they just like fall there on their faces more or less yeah. and it's kind of like it's weird to see especially in conversation like not a lot of people who have like a general breadth of like knowledge or are even interested in like 
trying to improve like the range of what they're talking about. I don't know. I feel like so that made no sense, dude. Like I was trying no, to do something that made some sort of sense, but like. So we can we can go into that a little bit more and talk about your experience. What, which fraternity are you in? How did you decide to even join one? What did the joining process look like? What has it meant for you since you've been doing it? Like, what does that whole process look like for you? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I joined Sigma Phi Epsilon. Uh, I. At first, I, I was kind of like on the, on the edge about fraternities. Like I enjoyed hanging out with people who were in fraternities, but I wasn't really sure that I wanted to like be in that culture. Just cause like at the time I had some really tight friends in my residence hall and we had like a ton of fun all the time. It was like, I, I was satisfied. I didn't want anything else. And then, uh, mm-hmm. like second year rules around where we're all like in apartments and uh like we're not hanging out anymore just because everybody's like scattered and they all have different schedules and so it doesn't really work out and uh uh, for the first quarter I just kind of like went through the motions and just like did my classes kind of like trying to get people together but that didn't really work too much and I'm the type of person where if I am not surrounded by people for long enough like I will either like one get depressed or two just like start hating like how cooped up I am or like not being with people. So I'm like, I'm like a, like an extrovert by necessity basically. So I, I was kind of like, shoot, my social circle has disappeared because everybody's moved out. I think I need to change the scene. And that was kind of like the pragmatic necessity for joining a fraternity. But then it kind of like evolved from there. Cause as soon as I joined the fraternity, I, I have, my pledge brothers who are the people who you uh, you pledge with for the fraternity. So they're the guys who are trying to join at the same time as you. Yeah. And uh, normally inside a fraternity, those are like your tightest guys. And so like, for me, that was definitely my experience. Like I have one really tight friend uh, in my, in my group and like, we're going to be moving into the house together next year. Like we're both musicians and like, uh, we would just like hang out all the time, like at my apartment or we'd just like go drive or whatever. And like, that was super fun for me. And that was kind of like a similar experience to like a lot of people in the fraternity that I had. Cause in a fraternity dynamic, you're normally kind of expecting just like party people who are just like looking for that kind of scene. And that's yeah. definitely like a background mission for sure. Like I'm not going to deny that at all, but like these are also people who have like, they're looking for a really tight circle. Like they want to make friends and they want to make like good lasting friends. And so when you yeah. have those people who are kind of like in that same mindset, you end up with a really cool culture. And so that's kind of like what I've stumbled into with, uh, with Sigma Phi Epsilon is like a really, a really tight culture of people who like actually want to form good friendships and who want to make connections, like whether it be through like business or arts or like whatever they're, they're always with it. Like it doesn't matter what kind of person I'm looking for, they're already in the fraternity. So like tons of really cool musicians, tons of cool artists, tons of people who are just like down to drive to the beach in the middle of the night and like go swim, like that kind of, that kind of thing where you could just like kind of find anyone. So that's been super cool for me. And I've like, I, I've kind of like gone back on all the, all the reserves I had against the Greek system before I actually joined. So like, I'm glad I checked it out. to like see for myself, because as soon as I did, then I realized like, Oh, there's like a ton of stereotypes behind it, which have like some basis, but there's a lot more there than meets the eye. So it was cool for me to like actually join and figure that out. So what were a couple, I mean, we can 
think about what's obvious, but what were a couple of the reservations? Why would you have said that you were against it beforehand? Yeah, totally. So uh, one thing I'm for is like authenticity when it comes to friends. So at first I was kind of worried about uh, the Greek life system because when you have that kind of system, it's like engineered, you know, like you invent a social circle instead of like it naturally happening. It's like, you're trying to, you're trying to build like this, uh, this like Frankenstein's monster type thing of like uh, a friend circle. And so at first I had kind of like seen the way that fraternity people acted with each other. Like I kind of just like observed that from afar. And then like with that understanding, I kind of created this own reality for myself where I was like, okay, well obviously this is like an abomination. Like this isn't cool. And then, like, I, I would be That's hanging a strong out. Word. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That was just like, that was just like, no, it's fine. Like, it was a, it was a passion impression. And then, uh, yeah. like, me being with my friends is kind of like, uh, reinforced that perspective because, like, they were all super tight and we were all just complete randoms who just happened to be living together. And then we had all made, like, good friendships instead of, like, going somewhere and paying money to be part of, like, a society. So I was like, no, I, I'm not really interested in that. And like, in a way, I kind of still have those reserves because when you, when you create a fraternity circle, it's not perfect, you know, like, uh, yeah. you create that kind of, that kind of system and like, people still aren't necessarily going to be like natural friends who are going to like gravitate to each other and have things in common. And like, it's not like a natural friendship because you kind of have to be brothers with each other. But then in a sense, there's a lot of people in your life who are like that, where like, uh, you kind of more or less are held to a standard where it's like better for yourself and them to be tight with them. And that sounds kind of twisted, but like at the same time, like I don't find myself like needing to be friends with people in the fraternity system. Like if I don't like them, like I've said it to their faces before on multiple occasions. And like, I, I know that sounds bad. That sounds bad. But like when you're in that group, they, like people appreciate honesty. Like if you're just yeah. going to suck up to everybody, they're going to hate you. But like, I think I garnered a little bit of respect from most people in the group because like, if I didn't like something, I would like speak up about it. I have like a good, I have a good story about this. I was, uh, I think we were doing, cause like when you're a pledge, you, uh, you kind of do these little events that are uh, coordinated with sororities. And so one of these, uh, it was called like serenades where we like, learn some dances and like some songs and then we would like perform for all the sororities and all the fraternities would do it. Everybody in Greek life would do it. And it sounds super cheesy and it is super cheesy, but at the same time, it's kind of fun. So like I yeah. enjoy doing it, but uh, uh, like the sorority girls will come and they'll like coach you through learning a routine. And so uh, we'd already known these girls who were coming to coach us. And like, I actually am in like a family with one of the girls now. I'll like explain more about how that works later. But like, she's super tight. But like, uh, we were doing this and then they were kind of like getting on my nerves about like how much they were like, you guys suck. Like, work on this. Even though they were just like, they were just like having fun and it was all like, fun yeah. games. and like at the time I wasn't really having it. So I was like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> you can tell us what to do, but don't tell me that I suck. Like, I don't want to hear that shit. I don't want to like, uh, be learning the stupid routine if you're going to tell me that shit. Like, don't disrespect me. And I think I said that. And then, uh, later they were like, uh, some of the like the president and someone else in the chapter came up to me and they were like, "Hey, did you did you really say that? Like, did you really tell them to shut the fuck up?" And I was like, "Yeah, like <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't having <laughs> that." And then they were like, "Nice." 
<laughs> like I thought wow. I was certainly in trouble, but like they yeah. feel like they kind of appreciate someone who's like willing to be straightforward. So yeah, I don't know. I've, I've kind of like found a way to keep it natural and keep it real, like in that kind of engineered circle. And like yeah. I feel like that's where the best things happen in the Greek system is where people are like honest and real and straightforward. And then like then you can actually start making uh, a good culture. I I mean, I feel like that sounds exactly like being part of a team. Yeah. Like you, everybody that's on the team, a lot of the times you're not on the team necessarily by choice if you're drafted to them or traded to them or whatever. So you're part of this collective group that you maybe didn't necessarily choose to be to. I mean, in this situation you did, and a lot of times players come over as free agents or whatever. But in terms of like not everybody there is – intending to be there um but the idea of you are all there for a specific purpose and you all know that like there is a goal that everybody has and so for you guys it's making connections and being part of this group and building each other up as a community all together and as a team like you're doing those things for the goal of winning a championship but it doesn't mean that everybody gets along all the time it doesn't mean that everyone's best friends off of you know the field of play or outside of the frat house it doesn't mean you all are are meeting each other's families and that you're all going to stay super connected but if you are friends with a and b but not c but a is friends with c like that still works out it all doesn't so that that actually that whole thing as you were describing it might sound weird but it actually makes sense like it's a real life thing that you're going to be in an office building with a lot of people where you are all trying to accomplish the same thing, but you don't mesh with somebody else. Like that's why, that's why, you know, your frat has a president who is there to like oversee everything and make sure that the whole thing is cohesive in one way. And you help just manage the people under you. Like that's what office management is. Being a part of a company or an organization is, is everybody is working toward the same goal, not necessarily working closely together amicably all the time that's Mm -hmm. not the point so yeah that actually makes perfect sense yeah it really does the only difference with the with like the fraternity system is that there's no like concrete goal you know like everybody's just kind of like they're there because they want like a friend circle and they want to hang out with like people who are cool and share their interests like there's no like defined goal except to just have fun so like it's kind of it's kind of different in that way where there's like uh, I feel like there's kind of like a synergy issue. Like normally with a team, you're like, okay, I'm going to put aside any like reserves I have because like I want to win or I want to get this championship. And yeah. like uh, kind of in the Greek system, if you have reserves, it's like, oh, like I guess I just got to bring them into a spotlight in like uh, in like a way that's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, kind of in the same way you would with like a, with like a small business or with like a office dynamic. Like you just kind of like, got to bring it to them in a respectful way and like respect definitely looks different in the greek system it's a lot of like messing around and like it totally doesn't sound respectful but there's like a underlying like language of respect yeah. but it's like yeah it, it's different in that sense but like yeah yeah it's pretty much the same so what i mean a how come you chose this specific fraternity and b is part of that decision do different frats have different focuses or core values that like differentiates yeah. between them yeah yeah so i i kind of didn't think they would 
I was kind of just thinking that people would just like join a society just like for the hell of it. Like if they're, if they're just looking at one, they're like, all right, I'll just join it. Uh, but kind of like looking around at a couple of the different fraternities, they definitely have different vibes and, uh, they're, they're people are definitely focused on different things. So one of the, I don't really want to like call out other fraternities. So I'm just going to like give yeah. them fake names, but let's say fraternity like. A. Yeah, fraternity A, exactly. So my first year, I rushed fraternity A, and then, like, another time my second year. So uh, they were cool, and, like, I enjoyed talking to the people uh, when you're rushing. But when you're rushing, you enjoy talking to everyone because everybody's just there to, like, learn about you and, like, kind of mm-hmm. figure out if you're right for the fraternity. And so, uh, like, they would tell me to come back and stuff, but I didn't really. I was more just, like, there for the parties, and, like, all my friends there were, like, girls, so I was kind of, like, looking after them low-key like that that was like my second priority but uh it it was it was just it was just kind of a weird experience for me because the party was kind of like ill-managed in a way I know that sounds weird but like when you don't really keep a good eye on people at parties especially like when they're too drunk or they're like not feeling good like that's super irresponsible and that is like totally your fault and the fault of the organization you're in because like people can get hurt in those situations and people have a UCI uh forget which fraternity it was, but, um, someone died at one of the parties from alcohol and they, they shut down the chapter and like, uh, like suspended them indefinitely. And it's, it was like a super big deal. And it was another reminder to everybody. Like you can have fun as much as you want, but like gets to a point where things can start to get dangerous. And then you have to like have people who are like willing to make sure that everybody's all right. Yeah. And, uh, there wasn't really that. There, was, there wasn't really, like, any sort of culture of making sure everybody's okay. Because, like, I went outside and, like, saw someone sitting alone on the sidewalk, like, like hunched over, keeled over. And I was like, this isn't right. And then, like, I was driving back with one of the guys, and he was talking about how hard it is to get girls to go to your parties. And I'm like, it should not be hard. Like, I, I know a little bit about parties. Like, it should not be hard to get girls to go to your parties, especially if you're not yeah. asking them to pay. Like, they'll go for the booze. Like, you know they will. So, like, uh that was just kind of weird and then once i went to once i went to sigep uh they like always had these designated people who are always making sure that everybody is uh is like staying healthy and staying clean even though they still have a ton of fun and like definitely go hard and uh sigma phi epsilon has the highest gpa of any any fraternity at uci so they like really care about like keeping their numbers up and like making sure like the motto is like balanced men which means that you're like making sure that you have everything in balance between like having fun, getting good grades and like staying athletic. So like they definitely kind of like we hold each other accountable to making sure that we have that, which is like a really good culture to have. Cause like if you can make sure that all your brothers around you are the best people that they can be, you end up creating this really cool society, which is kind of like what I stumbled into. And then like all my friends who I've made in the system so far have been really cool people who have like held me accountable to the things that I need to be held accountable for. And then like, I've had the opportunity to speak into their lives. And I'm like, yo, like, you shouldn't do this so much. Like, I, I just don't think it's good for you. Or, like, that kind of thing. And that's, like, the culture that I've stepped into, which has been cool. Because, like, yeah, that's kind of, like, the friendship that people really need is like, yeah. people who are willing to help you be your best. So, like, that was definitely, like, a huge difference for me. And I had looked at other fraternities, I'll name them, like, B and C. And they were kind of, like, more of the same as Fraternity A. 
And then I finally went to Signify Epsilon because I had some friends in ski who were like, yo, you should definitely check it out. And by the time, by that time I was like disillusioned. I was like, no, I want nothing to do with it. But then I went and I figured all that out. And I was like, okay, I can, I can roll with that. So, yeah. Good information. Um, so you brought up the family's idea. What is, what did, what did you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, some fraternities can be pretty big. And I don't know if all of them do this, but mine does, where uh, at the end of your pledge quarter, where you become an active member, where they, like, say, like, welcome to the fraternity, like, you're now a member. Uh, Like, it's like being a citizen, basically. So, like, now I am. But uh, at the end of that, they're, like, choose someone to be your big brother, which basically just means, like, someone that you've kind of, like, or they're an active in the chapter that you've, like, uh, been really good friends with or you've like had cool interactions with and you like want to hang out with them more basically and have them kind of be your mentor in a way and so uh one of the guys who I'd been with was like obviously the hippest in the chapter and he was like really into art and music and stuff and like uh we would just like always hang out like I would like sometimes when people would be like hey come hang out uh I'd be like nah I don't really feel like it but like every time every time he asked I was like yeah actually yeah I, I think I want to like, so I'd go over to the house and we'd always have a tent on. So, like, I chose him to be my big brother just because I, I was, like, I kind of want that dynamic, like, moving forward, which has been yeah. fun because it has been that. So uh when you do that, though, there are a lot of people who are, like, related to other people in his family. So you have, like, other people who have chosen that person as their big brother. Or, like, when I become an active, someone else could choose me as their big brother. And then, yeah. uh so, like, it's kind of, like, spread out. There's, like, 10 or 12 people in the family, basically. And then, like, you're all pretty tight and, like, hanging out with each other very often. So it's kind of like a click within the fraternity is basically what it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of, in a cool way, it's, like, it's like chosen based off, like, qualities rather than, like, in a natural friendship, a click would just kind of, like, happen. And maybe there's, like, good reasons for it happening, but it just kind of happens. Whereas, like, in this, it's, like, elected. You know, like, this is the person that I, like, want to spend more time with and I want to, like, be my mentor. So it's been kind of cool to, like, be in that circle. Again, it's engineered, but still, like, super interesting. Yeah, no, that's cool. We, for the Frisbee team at Long Beach State, um, every vet, which is just a non-rookie, so anybody who's passed their first year, um, when new, when the new set of rookies comes in, the vets take a rookie as their son. So, oh, yeah. so I mean, the, the big brother aspect, I mean, you're choosing the big brother, so that's different. Oh, yeah. But for, yeah, for the vets to have that opportunity to say, this is my son. So then, you know, generations happen because then there's son and son and grandson. <laughs> um, it becomes pretty funny. And there was a short amount of time where the women's team was involved. So like they would jokingly refer to someone on the women's team as their mom. And so that kind of went, um, but those two, the men's and women's teams have gone through various, we are good friends. We're not good friends. It's so sometimes it works out really well. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but yeah, that idea, it's important a for the younger person to feel like they're connected and, and that somebody, there's somebody that they can for sure go to and, um, check in with and stuff. And it's good just as the leader to know that you're being a leader, you're being an example as the father, as the bigger brother, you have more responsibilities than just yourself. And it's just good practice to have somebody else that you are intentionally 
paying attention to and looking after, not just as being a member of the fraternity or the team, but in life, like we should have people older than us that we're looking up to that we are being accountable to in that way. And we should have people younger than us that we are going out of our way to look after and care for and do that kind of thing. So that's a really cool. Yeah. It's cool that you guys specifically have that set up and, and do it well. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been super cool. There's not like too much else to the fraternity system other than those elements. It's pretty much just like how you hang out after that. And like, it's going to be interesting to see how things are like after the pledge quarter. Cause like, uh, after all that stuff is over now, now I'm like an active member, but like immediately after that, uh, like that whole pledging process was over. It was like four days after I finished, uh, the coronavirus lockdown went into effect. So yeah. like, we immediately finished and we were all like exhausted from all the stuff we had to do. And then like after that was over, like I was immediately home with mono. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like super sick and like I had lost like 15 pounds, all the weight I had gained from working out and like cycling and stuff. And then like immediately the lockdown. So that was like yeah, a really it. surreal experience. That was like really weird. So what has a, what has communication within the frat look like since the lockdown? Like, are you guys still in really good contact? Obviously you can't hang out too much, but what, what does that look like? Yeah. You'd think that it would have better contact and I kind of wish it did, but I think most people are kind of like, mostly like kind of like in their own worlds now. So, uh, for better or worse. And so like, yeah. uh, the fraternity stuff is like definitely slowed down. Like there's no, dues for this quarter obviously because there's nothing to be done but uh like sometimes people like say stuff in the group chat and then there'll be like little conversations and it's fun but like for the most part the only thing I do is just like text the people in my family like uh that's like pretty much all I do now except for like because normally I would I would probably like go down to the house like every single night like I'd probably make that 25 minute drive down to the house to hang out with them every night but like it's not really responsible or like reasonable. Like I've gone down a few times and I've like worn a mask and gloves, but then it just kind of feels weird and impersonal. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's not so fun. So like, I think most people have kind of just accepted that times are weird and can't really like be hanging out because there's like actual stakes now. So it's kind of like mellowed down for sure. (coughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, switching gears, cause I think we covered that pretty well. Yeah, that was, that was thoroughly. <laughs> um, you haven't always been a cyclist. So how did you, I mean, not to that extent anyway, um, how did you decide this was going to be your new passion? How did it start? What were the steps you were taking to begin to take it more seriously and really start to train hard? Cause I remember, it felt like it went from zero to a hundred. Like all of a sudden you were telling me like, Oh yeah, I was doing these hundred mile things. I was like, what the heck? How? <laughs> like it just, to me, it really felt like you went from nothing to century rides and I was very confused. Um, yeah. so just kind of explain that process a little bit. Yeah, totally. So, uh, I think, yeah, I feel like I, I should have like a more inspiring way to say like, Oh, I did this like crazy feat and it was cool. Like I feel like I should have an inspiring way to say that. But no, no, not at all. Like, I was so bored from staying (laughs) home all day over the summer that I just started riding because I had nothing else to do. So I would just, like, 
ride and ride and ride and ride. Like I would just go because I had a bike, a good bike. And I was like, I don't have anything to do. So I'm just going to go. Cause like, I liked, I liked the feeling of like being fit. I'm not very like coordinated, like eye hand or anything. So I can't really like play sports that much. Like I could improve for sure, but like I, I'm not currently or ever was. So I was just like, <laughs> okay, like I'm just going to ride. And so I, I would just go for, miles and miles like hours and this is this is the summer after graduation yep yeah so uh i started going 200 miles a week was like when i hit my peak pretty much and that was like going into college like i had like reached that point and i was going so much that i'd started like investing in my gear and like uh like i had like got better uh like kits and like suits and stuff to wear because like you see professionals out there and they're like dressed in a specific way and I didn't want to be like looked down upon just because I'm like not dressed in the right way yeah. so, like I'd like got the I got the cycling clothes and everything and I I looked the part and then I joined the cycling team and it was kind of like I didn't really even expect to be where I was at because I I was just doing it because I was bored it wasn't like conscious training or like overcoming anything it was just because like I needed something to do. So then yeah. I joined uh, the UCI team and I like joined them on Strava. Do you have Strava at all? Or like, you have, no. Um, oh yeah. I forgot. No idea. Like, you don't <laughs> run or anything. Okay. It's like, <laughs> Is that like the sweetener you put in like, what? Oh, Get yeah. out of here. It's like, it's like, it's like a running and like cycling type app. It's like, uh, exactly. so you can like record your stuff and then like your friends yeah. see it. So I used to use it all the time for uh, cross country. But going into college and then using that for cycling, I joined the club team, and then all my stats are shown on the leaderboard. And I was yeah. suddenly in first place. Like, on the leaderboard, I was putting in the maximum mileage and the maximum elevation gain, and I was just immediately on the top of the leaderboard. And they they thought I was, like, not a UCI. I was just some random guy who, like, joined the leaderboard to be on top. <laughs> so they kicked, me, uh, they kicked me once, and then I, like, rejoined, and then they didn't kick me again. But uh, I, like, yeah. went to the first ride. And then I was like introducing myself and I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm Kyle. And then they're like, wait, it's you. And I was like, <laughs> and then I kind of realized like, Oh, like I, I'm at like a, I'm at a high level of fitness right now. Like that was kind of like the first realization for me. I didn't even know. Yeah. I was just kind of like going through the motions and then I was riding with them and they were like, Oh, you, you're fast. Like you can keep up with us and like you're in shape. And that's why the coach gave me like sunglasses and a jersey and it all happened very fast. I was like, like I'm part of a team. <laughs> what happened here? And uh, I've never been athletic in my life, so it it was it was like a cool change for me. Like I really enjoyed like that period of time. And then like immediately following that, I stopped cycling just because like I ran out of like energy to do it in time. And like classes were super hard, and like my life just completely changed. And uh, I it, it got to the point where it was hard to get started again. But now I'm getting started again like a really long time later and like I'm totally not in shape the way I used to be. And it's super frustrating. I'm only going like, uh, I'm only going like 50 miles a week and I'm damn it. Like I should be at this level because like that was the effort that I felt like I was putting in. But now like to get back to that, I have to put in like a, like a conscious amount of effort. So it's like a lot harder for me now to get back there. But this is the end of your, this is the end of your second year. Yeah, this is the end of my second year. So like I like, literally that is a like, lot to have happened in a very short amount of time. Yeah. yeah. 
And then at the same time, like, a really long hiatus between both of them. Like, I just disappeared for a year. And, like, people on the team would see me around campus randomly, and then they'd be like, where did you go? Like, you were you're supposed to be racing with us. And yeah. I, was, I mean, I should be, but I'm, I'm not. <laughs> like, I, I just stopped. So now I have to get back. So, like, you felt burnt out from it, or you just felt like, like you had just gone in too hard, too much, too fast, and you needed to distance yourself a little? Yeah, I, I burnt out, like, kind of, like, mindset-wise, but also physically. Like, I, I was riding so much, putting in so many miles. that uh, There's an enzyme called CPK that works in your legs to take out lactic acid. And <laughs> this is going to sound really stupid, and it's not even going to sound real, because I honestly thought it was fake. And so I didn't even listen to the doctor when they told me. But because I was riding so much, I had so much lactic acid in my legs that my CPK enzymes were 500 times the normal level, which is like the <laughs> yeah I thought that, that was not... a total lie because they did a blood test on me after I cramped up really bad. Like I thought I thought like Medusa had stared into my soul. Like my my muscles had just contracted to stones. Like it was so bad, so painful, the worst pain I've ever had in my life. And, uh, they told me, like, you can't keep on riding like this. Yeah. And, like, them telling me that made me want to ride more. So I was like, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to keep on doing it. I'm just <laughs> going to stretch more and drink more water. The doctor doesn't like, know what they're talking what are you about. Gonna do? Like, I'm just going to keep on doing it. Like, screw you. And I went back to 200 miles a week immediately after and then took a two day break. The break was how the, uh, the cramping happened originally. Oh. Uh, taking a break after going so hard. And I took a two-day break and immediately came back. But this time it was worse. It was, like, uh, three days in a row where, like, just moving around, just, like, getting up off the couch or out of my bed would, like, immediately trigger, like, a complete uh, complete locking of my leg muscles. Oh my and gosh. it was really bad. And I stopped for, like, two months and then uh, talked to the doctor again. And they're like, you can start again, but you have to start slowly. Like, you can't build back up to that level quickly. Like, you have to let your muscles have time to get there. And I was like, shoot, okay. So I was putting in, like, small mileage, and it was just so frustrating. And I absolutely hated it. That that small mileage was just, like, it just, like, wore on my consciousness. And it kind of, like, yeah. wore on me because I was like, I want to go to the mountains right now. Like, the 20 miles away, I could do that. Like, and I I knew I shouldn't, and I knew I couldn't. And oftentimes I would. And then I'd come back and I'd be like, I'm screwing myself. Like, if I want to be part of the team, I can't be doing this. And then, like, that kind of feedback loop of, like, negative thoughts and, like, uh, kind of, like, almost shame for not being able to do it the right way. Yeah. Caused me to just, like, immediately leave permanently. And, like, I, like, was not riding at all. Like, the only times I was riding was, like, four in the morning every once in a while. Like, I, I had, like, this weird schedule where I'd sleep during the day. Because, like, everything fun in my hall happened, like, overnight. So I would ride at, like, 4 in the morning, and then I would go to my 8 a.m. But uh, that was, like, the only time I would ever ride is, like, once a week at, like, 4 in the morning. Mm. That kind of sucked. Like, I just completely stopped wh- where I was at. But, of course, that was only, like, one facet of my life at the time. So I wasn't, like, depressed from losing cycling. But I was definitely, like, disappointed in myself because I felt like I could have done better. Like, I felt like I was in a good position, and then I lost it just because I wasn't paying enough attention or, like, doing enough research into, like, is this something I should be doing? So, yeah, yeah, that kind of made me stop. 
Because you still had you still had the frats and you still had school and stuff, and so you were still. It's not like you all of a sudden everything stopped and you were just sitting around not doing anything. Yeah, if that had happened over the summer, I would have been screwed. Like yeah. I probably would have like gone to some horrible uh, like rumination after losing that. But like considering that my life like had some aspects to it at that point, like it was good. Yeah. So what is what is the like near future goal then? Like, are you competing with like the goal is to compete with the team and see what happens? What does it even look like to compete with a college cycling team? That's a good question because I haven't raced with them yet. And I'm very excited to see what it's <laughs> like. Uh, but based off my outside information, it's like competition with other UCs and Cal States. So uh, like a lot of schools have their own club because it isn't like a team team that's done through UCI sports. It's like a club. But the club yeah. team is run by professionals. Like, uh, the guys who we were riding with were like actual professionals who had like either retired or moved more towards like, uh, teaching and training others or like had their own shops. So, yeah. uh, yeah, it's like, it's almost like being on a team and like it, it, the dynamic is very much like being on a team, but, uh, the races you, uh, you go to other schools and you'll all like cram into a hotel room for a night and then just like, do a race on like a Saturday morning at like UC Santa Cruz, UC Santa Barbara, San Diego, like all these different schools. And so, uh, there's not a lot of people at UCI who do that. There's probably like, I would guess three or four who consistently go to all these races and who represent UCI. And so, uh, when I was riding where I was at, these guys saw me and they were like, Oh, we have to get him to race. So that was like their priority was to get me to race. And then once I stopped riding because all that stuff was happening, they, they like kept on pestering me and they were like trying to get me to get back on the saddle and like start training again. And I kind of explained my situation to them, but they kind of were like in denial about how yeah. <laughs> bad it was. And so uh, if you haven't had something like that happen to you, it is impossible to understand what it's like it happening to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. So they were just like, come on, man, like stop being a baby. Just like get back on the saddle and just like go ride. And I'm yeah. like, I wish, like, I could do that if I wanted to, but, like, I don't know if I can. So, uh, yeah, that was that was kind of interesting for me. And, like, I really wish that I had the chance to race. So, like, my goal right now in terms of how I'm moving forward is just, like, slowly increasing my mileage and the amount of times that I've been biking, which has been a huge success so far. I've been, uh, like, slowly getting back to where I used to be, not not anywhere close. Like, I had this horrible experience where – I did the GMR, which is, like, the big, like, super famous cyclist ride in L.A. where you, like, go from the L.A. basin up to Baldy Village on this, like, one-lane road that all the cyclists take. It's, like, super famous. But uh, I had some really good times. I I would go with the team, and I'd be in, like, second or first place in the Mm -hmm. team in terms of, like, how fast you can climb that. And that had to do with, like, my fitness and my weight and stuff. But, like, I went up, and, like, some non-cyclists beat me up the up the switchbacks, like the initial switchbacks. They were like ultra marathoners, so they were in like crazy shape. Yeah. But it still really frustrated me because they like mm-hmm. weren't even actual cyclists. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. Like, and I looked at my times comparatively. I was nowhere near it, but like, I did it. And I'm like slowly moving back into being into a place where I can do it again. But uh, yeah, it's it's not been easy. To say the least, I guess. I, as somebody who used to ride a bike just, you know, for transportation purposes, 
the amount of effort and energy it takes to race riding bikes is insane. I've only seen, I've only seen one road race in person and there's the like races that they have at El Dorado. It's like every Tuesday night. Those are and, ridiculous. I've been, yeah. I've been told by professionals never to do it, which is like a really weird thing they had happen. Like yeah, what? when you're riding, I didn't even know they did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every Tuesday, I think, or something like that. Uh, yeah. They, they have these races, uh, in the circuit around El Dorado. And, uh, I always end up talking to professionals or like semi pros or just people who love cycling, like when I'm riding, cause like I'll end up going their pace or like just, uh, being a part of their group, like merging with the group while you're going down PCH, cause that's where everybody rides. But, uh, yeah. this guy was, uh, was telling me about how he's like raced there and like told me about stories where like, one of his uh, mutual friends got his head run over because he fell down and one of the guys rode over his head and he had permanent brain damage and then he died. Yeah. And he was like, never, ever, I forget, there was there was like a name for these kinds of races where you're doing circuits really fast on flat ground. He's like, never yeah. do those races, just do climbing races. And he was, he was the one who kind of like told me about climbing races and stuff. And he was like, uh, he was like, you, you have the right body type to do climbing races. I told him about my GMR times and he was like, you should definitely just focus on doing those. Cause if you go to those Eldorado races, like you'll probably be fine, but you run the risk of like, you could trip over a pebble and then your life's over. Like it doesn't happen often, but like it can and it did to that guy. So he was like, uh, I would. But like that was, that was his concern of you just actually getting seriously injured because it's not, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And everybody rides yeah. so close to each other. You could just clip someone's wheel and then they're like, they could damage their bike really bad or like get screwed yeah. Like I've fallen a few times. I have like a bunch of like scars on my elbow and hips and like shoulder now from falling, which has sucked. But like, I don't know if I want more. I don't want to be like in that close proximity with other yeah. just like doing those circuits, even though that'd be really cool. I want to try it at some point, but yeah, I don't know. I saw Chris Wyman do it once, and that was... I don't think I know him. He was the same year as, like, John Bogich and Dan Tyler, Michael Oscarson, Kel Cooper, those guys. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, I, he, so years ahead of you. Um, but he he got really into biking when he was in high school, continued in college, and he ended up... I want to say he was part of Team USA in something. Like he was traveling around the world at different things at a pretty young age. But he happened to be doing these ones every now and then. And he invited me to come watch. And it's it's weird to watch because it's like you're watching a race. So they'll come by here and then you turn around and they come by there after a couple minutes and a couple more minutes in the background. So it's not the most exciting thing to be a spectator because you're not spectating as much of it as you would like. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it just blew my mind that that even existed and that I had no idea until he told me, um, that's just crazy. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like not a spectator sport at all. Like there's no. really nothing to watch. Like, especially someone who doesn't know what's going on when you're like watching other people racing. Like yeah. it, there's, there's like no point. Like you can see like, Oh, they're in first or something like that. And yeah. Like, you can't. Maybe if you have, like, a family member or a friend who's in the race, it's, like, cool to see where they're at. But, like, you have no idea what's going on or what they're doing right or wrong. And you're just kind of, like, watching it and being, like, this is the state of things. And that's, like, all the information you have. So, like, yeah. it's kind of weird in that sense. 
Well, you also brought up that you are writing a book. Yeah. What yeah. does that look like? I've read some of your writing in the past, um, but like, what is it that you're working on? What, when did you start getting into it? actually long form type of writing? What does that look like? So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I've, I've just been writing stories forever just because that's like my main passion. So like seventh grade, I wrote my first book, uh, like moving forward from that, I've written like multiple, uh, poetry books. I got my poetry published by UCI actually. I am in the literary magazine for this year. Uh, I wrote oh. a poem, just like a, a weird poem about this, uh, about this like abandoned Swedish town that I found on a map and I like read an article about it. And like, uh, there was like a photographer who did like a, like a, I don't know what's called like a project or a collection about it, but, uh, like just yeah. these really interesting photos, like of these abandoned houses, but then also people living in these houses, like, kind of like squatting basically and like them and their families and this weird community that's developed. So I wrote about that in an abstract way, which is like what I normally do. I take a normal concept and then I make a huge abstraction. Uh, and I wrote that poem then I submitted it and they, uh, they accepted it, which is super cool. And then I got to read it in front of like everybody, which is super cool. But, uh, in terms of like, uh, write, like writing stories and writing novels, like that's been a very different journey. It's been a journey of mostly failure. Like I, I will try to write something and then it just won't work. I'll get like halfway through and then I will like lose momentum because for me, I, I'm not what most people would consider when they think of like how the writing process should work. Like they kind of think mm -hmm. that like the author has everything planned out and that they, uh, they kind of like, know what they're doing and they're like the ultimate gods of their story, which in a way they are. But uh, for me, the story kind of writes itself, which has always been my experience. And any story that's finished has been because it's finished itself. Like uh, I'll, sometimes I'll get to a point in a story where like, it's like all the doors of possibility have closed and I'm like, there's no story here. There, there's really nothing here. Like I thought I had an idea, but it's not going to pan out. And so like, that's where I scrap it halfway. But this story it's it's in it's like drawing up stages for sure so like it could end up the same way but i'm like very passionate and excited about how far it's gotten already i've created some really interesting characters and the main thing i'm doing with the story is i'm taking a sci-fi universe that i've already created in the past and i'm warping other stories that i've already started like other settings and other characters and i'm implementing them into this book as scenes as opposed to like the entire narrative. So um, yeah. I'm kind of like weaving everything together and creating like all these different scenarios. It's kind of like a long winded answer to like what it's about. But it, like the basic way to describe it is that a gateway opens next to earth. It's a, it's like a giant wormhole next to the moon. And on the other side of it is a planet that's twice as big as earth and it has water and it has plants and it has a breathable atmosphere. It's like, it's like, uh, completely inhabitable for humans and the portal just opens and nobody knows why it's just like a complete question mark and so uh, like they send probes through and they figure out that there's six other portals open around that world and those portals are to other intelligent worlds and so uh, the, the kind of premise is that some unknowable force has caused all of these uh, intelligent worlds across the universe to be linked to this yeah. uh, like inhabitable but no intelligent life planet 
which I've called Miria, and that's the name of the book. And the main character uh, lives on Earth in America, and uh, the portal opens, and I've created this really interesting character, which I'm really excited about. He has a very, like, a very interesting and depressing but real dynamic with his family. And it's been it's been really enlightening for me to write because I'm not just making some character for the sake of like a fuck all adventure. Like he is a real yeah. with like real mistakes and consequences. And like, he's done really bad things, even though like he's really easy to sympathize with. And like his family is really messed up and he, he's like a real person in the sci-fi book and all the good sci-fi that I've ever read has had real people in science fiction settings. This is what I'm trying to do. And the main character goes to the planet. He, like, stows away on one of the ships, one of the shuttles that, like, goes off of the space elevator to this planet. And he uh, lives in this, like, little bohemian beach town, which I'm in the process of making, called Parsons Landing, which is so cool. And then in Parsons Landing, he gets invaded by an alien force. He gets thrown in prison with an alien. You have to give away the whole plot. We got to read it. No, no, no. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Promise. And he gets thrown in prison. And uh, when he's in prison, he learns the language of this alien uh, because it's, like, only him and this alien in the cell. Because, uh, like, Parsons Landing is normally, like, a segregated uh, city where, like, the humans will, like, kind of, like, live with humans, like, naturally. And the other aliens will live with their species naturally. But they're all, like, part of this city, and it's, like, a fishing town. But uh, he learns the language of this alien, and his entire world just gets, like, opened up to him. And when they escape from this prison, he's able to convince everybody, like, not to kill this alien and to let him go home, even though he could, like, basically be a war criminal. And then that's how he becomes a diplomat. And then his story is the story of becoming a diplomat who, like, stops this giant interstellar war. And, like, it's so dope. Like, I'm so excited. And I I have most of it planned out already. And, like, it's just been super cool to go through that creative process. Whether or not it actually pans out, I've been having a ton of fun with it. So I hope it becomes something pretty cool. I I love that you are so energized by it. Just the emotion in your voice. I keep that really I'm hard. Like, I'm sorry, man. Like, seeing you, seeing you on video, just getting super excited about it, makes me excited about it. And I'm not even generally like we've had some of these conversations in the past where like sci-fi. I'm not, it has to be a certain kind of sci-fi for me to get into it. And your sci-fi tends to be a little bigger and more philosophical than what <laughs> I like to enjoy. Like, I just like flat stories that just, here's where it starts, here's where it ends, here's some action along the way, have fun. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, what that entertains me. And you tend to be a little bit more uh, intellectual than that. But, I mean, I'm yeah. I don't know. Like, you. There's, there's different There's different kinds of stories. And like, I I could make that kind of story, and I feel like those are super fun, and they have value. Like, they have definite yeah. value in, like, these stories, which are, like, I feel like an arguably fun without too much depth to the story type science fiction scene would be, like, uh, like Star Wars definitely is more of just, like, a fun ride that most people can get behind, and I yeah. respect that. Like, maybe I'm wrong, and people could, like, argue against that. That's, like, my impression as a writer and as, like, a consumer of that kind of culture is, like, that's where the story lies for me. And then also like Star Trek kind of falls a little bit closer to that too. But then there's definite stories that completely blow that out of the water where they have really, really explored characters who like really resonate with you 
And at the same time, they go like super in depth into the science. And I'm not going to go too in depth in the science, but one of them that I've read is called Red Mars and it's by Kim Stanley Robinson. And he's just a science fiction God. And he did all this research and he compiled this like massive amount of uh, research about potential like colonization of Mars with these super interesting characters from tons of different backgrounds. And like, reading those kinds of stories is super like inspiring to me because you can create another world entirely. Like that's what you're doing. It's like creating this entire universe. And like in order to do that, the universe that we live in is insanely complex and has an insane amount of different people. And there's always something interesting at like every different turn you can take, like no matter where you are, who you're associated with, like there's something interesting and something valuable. And like, that's what I'm trying to do with my stories, which is like way easier said than done, like way. But I oh yeah, that's why I write. This I can't story. even, I can't even fathom putting any of that together. I can't, like, dude. I've been trying, man. I've really been trying. The way the way I look at writing is the same way that I look at like music. Like, I can't create anything that hasn't already been created. Like, that's not. Like that, I mean, obviously that comes from a limited mindset in that situation, but I think like there's no drum beat that I'm going to come up with that hasn't already been come up with. There isn't some cool guitar riff. There isn't some world or colony or personality type or anything that hasn't already been written about. Like I have no unique spin. I have no, like I haven't worked. And this is something like you've been spending a large portion of your life, you know, flexing that creative muscle learning how to take what you've seen and tweak it to fit your own personality or your own desires and needs and and refine that task over and over and i've just refined watching a baseball game over and over like it's just very it's very yeah. different yeah it's way. definitely uh, creativity is totally a muscle and i feel like uh like most muscles like you might naturally be better at like or more athletic with like certain muscles, like you more, you might be like, uh, like a natural at baseball or something like that. And then the same way, yeah, I feel yeah. like some people are naturals at storytelling and it's like super cool to see, but, uh, like I think everybody can flex their creative muscle and everybody can get stronger in the same way that you can like improve in a sport by yeah. like, uh, trying hard. Cause I've seen people who have like kind of convinced themselves that they can't be creative and that they have no creative capacity, but then I, I convinced them that they can be creative which is like something I've become very good at because a lot of people come to me and they're like, I'm not creative. And then I have to convince them that they are. Then they make something really, really cool. And then I'm like, this is exactly what I was talking about. Like you, you can totally do this, but you've convinced yourself that you can't. And therefore it makes you worse at doing it. Like once you start to believe in yourself, that sounds super cheesy, but it's true. Once you start to believe in yourself and then you like take that into practice and focus on improving and like, uh like making better what you did worse the previous time like you become really good at creating things like uh my girlfriend right now she's kind of convinced herself that she's like not creative at all and i like my running my running like struggle is trying to convince her to like be creative like convince her that she's better at piano than she thinks she is because she is and then like also her art She's like, I'm not really creative. I'm just like drawing Disney characters. But I'm like, no, like when you, when you draw something that's already been done before, you're taking your own experience and you're like using that to create something. So I like 
I like truly believe with all my soul that there is not a person who is unable to be creative on this planet unless they've had like some sort of brain anomaly or like lobotomy or something. <laughs> like I, I truly believe that everybody is capable. Like we're all starting at different points, just like someone yeah. who's in an athletic position would. But like, I totally think that anybody can be a musician. Anybody can be a writer. Anybody can be a dancer. Like as, as hard as it may be, like I can't, I can't dance for shit. But, like, if I practiced it and if I focused on it and made it a goal, like, I could do that. Like, I believe that. And once you start to believe that, that's when you can actually move forward and start creating great things. And I want to make a great story. So that's kind of the mindset that I've got myself into to, like, grow into that and try to actually make something that's worth reading. Hasn't been I've I've been ready for this for a while. Like I've known this has been in you, and I know this passion has been in you, and and I have been able to read some of your old stuff, and I'm very excited for what that future looks like. Whether it becomes some really cool, awesome things shared all over the place, or whether it's just for your own, you know, accomplishment and well-being that you've created this for you. Like either way, that's super valuable, and it's awesome. And it is a really important point that I think a lot of people don't understand that creativity as a muscle. I fully believe that. And I go out of my way to not, to <laughs> not, not use stretch that muscle. that muscle, to not use that at all. Because <laughs> uh, I just enjoy doing other things. But I'm going to have to convince you, Jacob. That's that's now going to be one of my other oh, if, time jobs is convincing you that you're creative and forcing you to Micah, If Micah hasn't convinced me yet, then I – you're going to have a tough road. I like a challenge. I'm going to, I'm going to work on this. Yeah. You're going to have to, you're going to have to contact Micah and pair up with him and come out together because I'd love to, I I love connecting with other like poets and musicians. Like I'd totally be with uh, me and Micah forming a tag team to force you to do that. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a crossover episode, dude. Good luck. No, Um, it's not a good luck. It's a will happen scenario. No. Okay. Um, our last, our last topic, uh, I do want to talk about, uh, what I mentioned before, your radio show that created this podcast. Um, kind of give, I gave a very brief explanation in the last episode, but just kind of what was that radio show? How did you get involved? What did you do? How did I end up on it once? Yeah. <laughs> I got you. Okay. So, uh, originally, I was with a bunch of hallmates and we were just hanging out and then I was like checking my email and it said, uh, I know it's weird that I'd be checking my email while I'm hanging out with people. Just like put that to the <laughs> side. But, uh, anyways, I, I was scrolling through that and then it said like they were looking for volunteers to have shows on the radio station. And this is during were, freshman year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this was, uh, I think it was in my winter quarter. Yeah. It was in my winter quarter. Okay. And then, uh, I, I was with my friends and I'm like, Hey, you guys, would you be down to like have a music show together? And then like we could play music and then like for the last like 30 minutes to an hour, we could just like talk about whatever. And then they were like, yeah, we should totally do that. And so that was like me and like three other friends. So we yeah. would pull up together to these training sessions. And like originally I was the one who was like most excited about it. And I was the one who was like most invested in it. So I kind of knew where it would end up if I hadn't, yeah. or if I didn't like, make sure that everybody was on track with me. But uh, we were all like uh, going to these uh, meetings and like we all got certified to like get our shows so we could like pick a slot. 
And then uh, everybody was kind of like, oh, I don't know. Like, I think I think my idea of a show is a little different than, like, the one you wanted to put together. And I'm like, I totally understand that. So uh, they all ended up doing different shows. And then I was doing my own show over the summer because I was thinking, like, there's less people who do shows over the summer. And you can keep your slot once you have it. So I was thinking if I do this over the summer and get a good time slot, then I don't end up with like a two to four AM or something horrible time slot like yeah. over the school year. So uh I did that six to eight on Friday's show. Or maybe it was Saturdays now, I can't remember. Might have been Saturday. Either well, way. I came on on the Saturday. Summer all the days just blend together, man. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, I, I was doing that show and mostly I was just doing music. But anytime I could get a friend to go with me which I'd always try to do. I'd try to get like Flynn or Antonio to come with me. Uh, we would just like talk about whatever for like the last hour. Or we'd just have like prolonged discussions in between songs. Like I'd, I'd talk about the song and then we'd just end up like talking. And so like it became super fun and it became something we looked forward to always. We would be like, oh, I can't wait to like go back to the radio show. And then uh, you hit me up about the radio show and I was like, yes, yes, let's do it. Like I was, I was more than excited. So then I, uh, then we brought you on and then we were just like kind of talking about whatever the heck. Honestly, I don't even really remember because like we, we talked about so much, so much <laughs> random stuff, absolutely random stuff. And then, uh, yeah. And then I remember you being really excited about the radio show and being inspired. And then you said like, I want to make my own radio show. And then I was like, Oh, that is so cool. That is so awesome. Like, yeah. I can't believe that I was able to like, or I had the, pr- the privilege to make an impact like that. I was like, that's so cool. I'm like, I'm honored. So like, that was, that was super cool when I heard you say that. And I was like, yes, I'm like, I'm so happy. But, uh, the show ended up not working out because we would do that discussion, even though we weren't supposed to. It was a music show. It was supposed yeah, to be a music yeah. show all two hours. And, uh, most of the time it ended up being a music show if I was the only one in the studio. Cause I would just yeah. be like, whatever, nothing to talk about if it's just me. But, uh, uh, they didn't sign me or my co-host up for a show in the fall. And then I hit them up. I emailed them and I was like, Hey, what's the deal? Like, uh, I had a slot beforehand and we applied for the same slot and you said it was guaranteed that we get the same slot. And then they were like, Oh, well you applied under his name, but not yours. Sorry. And then I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm a co-host. Like my name is definitely on there. And then they were like, well, you used his name first. So he was the first one we looked at. And then we gave the slot to somebody else who had been here longer. And then I was like, what do you mean the first name? Like we're on the same line on the little ledger, like on the little, <laughs> little list where you like pick out the people. It's like Nick, blah, 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 my name. And I'm like, I don't understand how you can mess this up. And then how they wouldn't want to fix it. And yeah. then the realization kind of came to me because they had like been talking about it a little bit. And like one of my close friends who was like on the show also told me like, Hey, they're like a little bugged about your show. So then the realization came to me like, maybe they intentionally did that to get me off the air because they didn't they didn't want to deal with the fact that I was like doing a half PA show and I'm not supposed to be doing PA hours and that yeah. kind of like goes against the the rhythm that they have I'm not sure if there's like specific rules but most of the time there are in this kind of situation so yeah. like uh, I I kind of had that realization and maybe I'm wrong because I'm not going to confront them about it because like I definitely want to be able to have a show in the future but like uh they were basically like, yeah, you can apply for a show in the winter if you want to. That was, that was at the beginning of this year. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this sucks. And then I was going to do it in the winter. Uh, I had like all my applications ready and stuff. And then I 
I, that was when I was starting to figure out the fraternity thing. Uh, when I was like, I think I want to join a fraternity. And then everybody I talked to told me, minimize your workload while you do your pledge quarter. Cause you're going to be doing a lot of stuff during that time. And you're not going to want to have anything more than class and what you really, really want to do on your plate or else you're just going to be swamped. And so I was like, yeah. shoot, okay, maybe this is something that I could put off for spring. And then coronavirus happens. So like now I'm going a whole year without having my show and they might make me retrain to use the studio again. And if they make me retrain, I'm not going to do it because I don't have the time to put into retraining only to do it for like two more quarters. Cause after next year I'm out, like I've finished all my units. So uh, like might not happen again. Hopefully I can convince them to not make me train, but like that's been the show. I, I've kind of seen it as this cool little like summer period where I like had the cool opportunity to be a, to be yeah. a video show host. But like, if it doesn't happen again, I'm not too upset, but like, I'm just like really glad that it happened for the most part. And I'm really yeah. glad that it like inspired you to make this show. This is super cool. I really like what you're doing here. This is like what we were doing, except it's like actually allowed and not like stigmatized. <laughs> we were worried like when people would walk into the studio while we were doing PA hours, we would just stop talking. <laughs> we're gonna go to music right now. <laughs> we wow. Start a song. We'd act like we were like doing a little like uh backtracking between tunes. So like I I really like what you're doing here. It's really cool. It's cool that you've been able to do this. It's, I mean, even if like I don't know if you you had live stats to see how many people were listening at any moment. Um, we kind of get some statistics from Spotify and iTunes. I'm not sure how accurate and consistent they are. So after the first like two months, I just stopped paying attention because it became like a, it's not about that. Like yeah. I mean, coming away from doing the show with you, it was awesome because we were having really good personal conversation and people got to hear it. Like, it's not like we were trying to pry into the, you know, the deepest, darkest secrets and just like out ourselves. Mm-hmm. But just the idea that we were having like, it was a conversation that we could have been having over dinner or something like it was, yeah. it was an easy, natural, intentional conversation. And how many times do we go in our life and have those and just be like, man, I wish like other people could have been around to like experience that with us. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like. And even if it was only a couple people, even if through these 43 shows now, even if only a couple people listen to a couple parts of each episode, like at least we got to have this conversation like that's that's the part that's cool and we can go back and listen to it and you know years from now we can like share these funny things or whatever it's there's so much more value than just like we're trying to produce something so that we get a ton of people to listen to it because that's our goal like no our goal is to have really cool conversations with people and and now in this setting like oh the virus has shut people down and it's tough. It's like, well, it's made this way easier for us. Yeah. The audio quality may be a little down, but we've been able to consistently have more guests because they can be from wherever and we can make it happen. And it's been really cool. Um, So at the end of the day, like that's what it's about. It's it's about being able to connect. It's an excuse to have Mm -hmm. a really good conversation and to share people's stories. Like, that's the big part of it is Jake and I both know all these people with all these cool stories, hobbies, interests, talents, whatever. And so being able to share that with people is awesome. 
Yeah. Um, like yeah. we alone, we've, we've interviewed at least what, four or five people who want to be firefighters. None of those <laughs> really? stories are the same. So like if people talk about like, Oh, I want to grow up and be a firefighter. It's like, well, I can point you in the direction of a few conversations that have a ton of really good information in them for you to hear about that. Like, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing where it, it can be used as an archive of information now, but yeah, the opportunity to, to hear people's stories, to share them with people like that's the best part. And so that's what, that's what doing the show with you was like, was being able to sit in there and to have your co-host be somebody who I had met at that time. And he's willing to enter into the conversation and give serious personal insight. Like that's the best. So, yeah. Agreed. I'm glad that yeah. you see it that way. Cause that's totally the same way I saw it. And I didn't really think about it in terms of the archive way. Like, that's super cool. Like, you've, like, amassed a ton of, like, important information from having these conversations with people. And then you can, like, refer back to it based on, like, uh, or you can, like, refer people back to it. So yeah. then, like, there's, there's, like, a value that a listener is getting from what you're creating. Yeah. So, like, I think that's super cool. You, you've definitely got something going on for sure. It's It's been pretty awesome. So I still have. I recorded the radio show on my phone that night while we were doing it. I just pressed record on the personal memos or whatever. So like I still have it. Um, But yeah, we're just, I am very grateful that that opportunity existed that Antonio decided that night to post that you guys were doing the show that night. And I was at a baseball game. I was literally in angel stadium and was like, what? And sat and listened to your show for five minutes while I was in the stadium and thought, man, this is dope. Um, that's, yeah. So we are very thankful that you had that going on and that this was a result of that. We are thankful that you had time today to be here and talk to us and record with us. It has been awesome. I miss having you around, miss catching up, but this is a good, good, good time to do that. Um, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, we've covered a lot of bases. Obviously, again, there's so much more to. Man, I'm not interesting <laughs> enough to have like much more than I've already divulged. Man, everything oh, else we, is like lame school shit. No, nah, there's so much more. There's so much more. Um, but <laughs> I, wish, I wish. And also, there's like the the stuff that should not be said over air that are also like my most fun stories that right. I like on layaway. So of course, like yeah. <laughs> There's always that. We'll keep keep those keep those in the back pocket for another time. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well thank you again for being on. Jake, gonna get us out. Yeah, thank you guys for uh listening and having a good day. Uh, it's a beautiful You just thank them for them having a good day? I was in the middle of <laughs> um now I lost my complete train of thought. Um You're welcome. Yep, he does this. Yep, thank you for joining us while uh, we are here. Um, hope you guys enjoyed. We did. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, I don't know the schedule. Um, <laughs> schedule. Uh, yeah, so thank you guys for joining us. Um, follow us on all social medias at F-R-O-M-B-O-B-S-O-F-F-I-C-E. That's from Bob's office. I'm Jake Mathis. I'm Jacob Bomber. I'm Kyle Van Lant. Have a great day.